people say like this stuff should be taught in schools. I mean, is that really who we want teaching our kids about money? If you're looking to leave the nine to five and elevate your side hustle, the Hustle the Day podcast is the podcast for you. Your host, Trent Bray, left the nine to five grind behind and is helping others do the same and focus on the future. Hear from others who have done it and how they did it. Jump in as we talk entrepreneurship, mindset, and strategy. Just take it one day at a time and hustle the day. On this episode of the Hustle the Day podcast, I am fortunate to have my friend John DeGroff on the show. And this is not your ordinary episode. This is episode number 100 of the Hustle the Day podcast. And it is also the last episode of the Hustle the Day podcast. Make sure you stay tuned to our Instagram for what is coming next. But John and I talk about finances. We talk about showing up. We talk about putting in the work. Lots of great conversations. Let's jump into it. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Hustle of the Day podcast. My name is Trent. Super honored to have my good friend John DeGroff here today. John, why don't you jump in? Tell my audience a little bit about yourself. Man, it's it's good to be here. Finally, Trent. I've been I've been trying. I've been lobbying for months to get on this podcast, and I finally made the cut. I guess so. Uh, uh, yeah, I appreciate that, man. Um, John DeGroff. I am from West Virginia, sometimes referred to as Best Virginia. Um, I am a uh, husband, father of three kids, and uh, I own the business DeGroff Financial with my brother, and uh, it's been building and, and growing and uh, helping, working with my family and, you know, just moving things forward every day. So, you know, enjoy getting to talk to you, Trent. Hey, I appreciate it. I, I'm just excited to be able to talk to you and you know, dig into your story. And I think you had that, uh, that mixed up. I've been lobbying for months to have you on the show and you finally <laughs> relented, but you talked a little bit about your family and I love that you are including your family in so many things right now. Right now you're doing 75 hard phase one, which is awesome. You know, I, that's definitely a separator from the regular 75 hard <laughs> having gone through it, but I love that your family is involved in that. They're, they're jumping into it. They're taking part in that. You're you're in business with your brother. It seems like family does tend to play a big part in what you do in your involving both your business and your personal life. And I've talked with several people about, you know, trying to find that balance. And I know balance isn't the best word for that, but you know, by involving your family in everything that you're doing, it seems like it's a little bit easier to figure out how to manage work with family life. And I just want to get your, your opinion on that. Yeah. Well, you know, it's tough, especially when it comes to your kids, you know, you do something like 75 hard and I went through it last year. I did 75 hard and phase one. Um, and I did it by myself. Um, my family understood, they supported me, you know, and all of that. And it's great. Um, like I say, if my wife didn't meal prep for me and, and all of that stuff, it would make this tremendously tougher. Um, it's not exactly my area of expertise, but, uh, you know, I did it by myself. And I think that last year, you know, towards the end of the year, I kind of fell off, you know, and just kind of, I told, I tell everybody, I kind of went on a two month binge, you know, binge at the end of the year, um, finishing up. I was just really busy with business stuff and, and all of that and didn't really focus on me. And so I needed the reset. And so when I started talking to my wife, Candy, about it, um, you know, around Christmas time or whatever, uh, she finally was like, I think I want to do it with you. Um, and then my oldest son had tried it a couple of times last year. He's 14. 
um, and had failed. He'd fail after about 25 or 30 days. He'd go to somebody's birthday party or something. You know how it is when you're a kid. Um, and uh, he told me, though, because he had failed in October, right before his 14th birthday. And he told me, he said, I'm going to start January 1st and I'm going to finish it. So I'm like, all right, you know, that's fine. I'm not going to push my kids into anything. Like, you know, that's just, that's not what I feel like needs to be done. Um, but I have been real interested to see how like my decision-making affects down the line, you know, cause it used to be like, I'd go home and I'd kind of ascertain like how my wife's day has been and been like, oh, Hey, you know, well, let's just order a pizza tonight. And then I see how that affects my two younger children, you know, that are 10 and eight. Um, so we go through all that and, you know, we all finished 75 hard um, a couple of weeks ago and then we're getting ready to do we were we took a few days off before getting into phase one and my middle child my 10 year old comes to me and he's like I want to do 75 hard he says if I do 75 hard will you buy me one of those 75 hard coins at the end and I was like well buddy I was like I really appreciate you want to do it I said you know how hard of a program it is and he said yeah and I said do you want to do it for you or do you want to do it for the coin you know, he's like a little of both. And I'm like, all right, I respect that answer, you know, but the thing is, is now when I go home and I still have to do a workout, you know, we can all go out, you know, we can go out and walk together if we want, or we can go play basketball. We do a lot of that. Um, you know, I, I, I get up in the morning and I see, um, I, I go downstairs, um, and I'll see my, my 10 year old on the treadmill at six o'clock in the morning, you know, and, um, you know, and that's, that's been pretty cool. So, um, you know, it's been great to involve them. Uh, my daughter's doing her version of it right now. And then me and my wife and my oldest son are all on phase one. Patrick's on 75 hard. So, you know, it's been, it's been really cool to see, man. It's really cool to involve them. Um, and actually my brother and business partner, he's on phase one with me too. He, we went through 75 hard together and, and all of that. So it's definitely been a family affair. Um, and it, and you, like, you're right. It does help with the balance because you're all working towards the same thing and you're all freaking miserable together, you know? So, I mean, it's just, it helps out. <laughs> well well that's good uh, I'm, I'm glad you can all be in misery together um but no that's that's honestly a really cool story i love that they want to be involved and I, there is definitely an example being played there you know of you working hard just showing your kids that you know my my daughter has started her own business last summer you know just by seeing what i'm doing and things like that and it's it's been really great to see so I love that you're setting that example for people. I love that you're you're helping the younger generation, not only within your own family. We were talking before we started recording. So you've got your own insurance agency and you're really trying to help out those who are new to the business. And, you know, just as you said, they're not as seasoned as you. They haven't been through it all. They're, they're ignorant in a way, but uh, it's just some of those things that I love that you're always out there willing to help people. And you've, you've done that a little bit with, uh, you know, you start a Facebook group called Cashflow Pros and you're out there kind of helping people along the way. Uh, at least they're just getting started from this financial side of things. How has that affected you just being able to provide that experience to others? <clears throat> it's, uh, you know, Ryan Stuman talks about power versus force a lot of times, you know, and when you are, when you're young in the business, um, and I, I would reframe, you know, you said you said insurance agency. Um, I would I'm more of a financial consulting business. Insurance just happens to be a part of that, so I'll just reframe that a little bit. But um, 
I think when you're young in the business, you try to force things a whole lot and you're constantly, you're in people's DMs, you're everybody you meet with. I remember one time being somebody's birthday party or something and we ended up someplace at an after party at like two o'clock in the morning. This is way back in the day when I could stay up till two o'clock in the morning and I saw a guy who I was acquainted with who we kind of came into business at the same time and he was just hammered and like passing out business cards at two in the morning. And I remember thinking, gosh, I never want to be that guy, you know, like who I don't want to meet my money guy at a bar at two o'clock in the morning, him being hammered and passing me a business card. That's just not how I'm going to build. And the funny thing is he's pretty successful now. So I'm proud of him. You know, it's cool. He, he kind of fought through some demons, but, um, but you know, there's a difference between power and force. And when you provide value and you help people, even when it doesn't affect you at all, um, then, then, those are power moves, right? And so I find myself getting tagged in a lot of posts now and things like that and working with people all over the country just because I do provide a lot of value and I genuinely care. Um, and I'm, I'm just not afraid of some of the thing, same things that some people are when they get into the business they're afraid of. I have a, you know, I'm, I'm in a business where you're 24 years old and you're making no money and people still go out and lease BMWs and buy big houses and, you know, really expensive suits. And I was never that guy. Um, so, so um, never been that guy, not afraid to take a step back if I have to. Um, and I think that that's always been a little bit of a separator with me. Yeah. I, I love that, that you're just providing the value and, you know, that will come back to you at some point in time. You know, I, I know you personally that you do tend to provide a ton of value out there. And so I, I love seeing that you, that does come back to you. And, uh, you know, we've talked uh, offline before multiple times about, you know, some of those people who are new into the business and some of the mistakes they might be making with it. Mm -hmm. But um, like you said before, we, you're also willing to help them with that and mm -hmm. educate them. And uh, I, I really think that's going to play out really well for you in the long term. But one of those things that you do is, um, you know, you're selling products that don't necessarily benefit you right up front. You don't have something tangible. You don't have something that you can take home and be like, this is, this is the greatest thing ever. It's, it's one of those things that it takes a long time to appreciate. So how do you get people excited about what you're selling? You don't. Uh, <laughs> um, it's, uh, it's tough. Um, but I think the thing is, is when you can take someone's situation and you can break it down in front of them and you can say, okay, this is, this is your situation in a series of boxes, right? And so you have, you have these boxes that you're growing. Shouldn't we protect these things, okay? Because we can do the accumulation side. We can do the liquidation side. We can do the protection side, right? And we focus on cash flow a lot, right? Because, because cash flow drives everything. So once I get to a point where 
I've controlled people's cash flow enough that it just makes sense to start to strengthen the foundation, build a foundation and then strengthen it. We put everything into phases. So I think that once people start to really understand that we are moving through a process and we're working towards something, um, people want to see what happens at the end of the movie, but you got to get the right, you got to watch the whole thing, right. To get the full gist of it. You got to know the backstories and, and all of that. Right. So once people start to understand that it might not be that they're thrilled to do it. Um, I mean, maybe in certain situations, um, but, but they start to understand, Oh, okay. I'm doing this because of this. I'm doing this to protect this. I'm doing this because my situation is going to be here and if this, this, or this happened, I wouldn't be able to get there, right? And so it's just a, it's an ever moving conversation that you're having with people. And again, I don't expect people to be thrilled about that part of the conversation. It's usually the worst part of a three or, you know, series of three or four meetings. <laughs> um, but, uh, but it is important. And some people get it better than others, right? I think too many people, especially on the insurance side of things, people look at insurance as an expense and it's not, it's just not, you know, and you have to reframe your mind on that insurance in a lot of ways is an asset. Um, and people like to buy assets a heck of a lot more than they like to buy things that are just expenses. And so you can get people to understand that then um, you're going to have a whole lot easier time, a whole lot easier time. Yeah, for sure. Just, I mean, like you said, if you think of it as an asset versus an expense, your whole mindset changes around it. So it's just getting people to, you know, see it that way. And I like that you provide the stepped approach and help people see the steps along the way, because, you know, a lot of ads that you might see online are like, oh, you're, you're at zero, here's the end. It's mm -hmm. not all the things that happen along the way that help you understand what you're building. It's not just like a. Well, we have a, not to interrupt you, but, um, and I say this, and if, if I'm on 25 podcasts I'll, this year, I'll probably say it on 22 of them. Um, but you, we live in a society where we have an epidemic of people that are putting 10% into their 401ks, but they're still overdrafting their bank account. Right. And it's because we're fed. It's, from day one, I remember being 19 years old, working at Lowe's, and they're telling me to put all the money in my 401k and buy into the stock plan and all that. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that, except, except you don't know my situation, okay? And if I'm struggling with my day-to-day -day cash flow, that that is not gonna change just because I'm retired. It's probably going to hurt more when I'm retired, right? Because now I don't have an income other than, yes, I understand what you put away and you got employer match or whatever, all that crap, okay? It's fine, there's nothing wrong with it, but you have to do things in order. So when my brother and I sat down and built out what we do at DeGraw Financial, we talked about the phases, like, okay, oh, you gotta build a foundation first. You know, then you got to strengthen that foundation and start to grow. And then eventually your money grows you, right? But then we realized through the through building this that we're missing a phase. And that's why you've heard me talk about things like phase zero before. And phase zero is stabilization. We have to stabilize you. We have to teach you how to be able to get from 
the beginning of April to the end of April without overdrafting your bank account or having a late fee. We have to be able to get you to understand that you need a things like a financial viability account. You have to you have to put a certain amount into savings and run a system that allows you to. I've known people that have had to go out and buy new cars because they knew they didn't have to put anything down financing a car, but they couldn't afford the $600 for tires on their old one, right? So you go out and buy yourself a new $50,000 vehicle because you couldn't afford $600 of tires, right? And so you know the tires are going to go bad, just like you know Christmas is in December, right? So you have to budget for them and you have to, like your kid's birthday doesn't change. I don't understand, you know, we're freaking out about, oh, I got to go buy plastic, you know, I got to go buy toys, you know, for my kid or whatever, Xbox or whatever it is, you knew the birthday was in October, right? Like, we got we to gotta plan for this. And so, and the thing is, is people say like, this stuff should be taught in schools. I mean, is that really who we want teaching our kids about money? I don't, God bless them, you know, but it's, it's, I think that we can do better. And I think that that also too is it's excuse making. Um, I've, I've had a lot of um, Joe and I both, my brother, we're uniquely qualified to have these conversations because every mistake that can be made, we've made. Okay. We know what it's like to struggle. Um, and, and I know what it's like to work your way out of a situation, you know? So it just, uh, you have to, you have to do things in the right order is the point of that. And most people, they're doing what I call making phase two decisions in a phase zero world, meaning that they need to be getting stabilized, but they're investing for retirement when they're, so they're 27 years old and they're making decisions that affect them 35 years from now, but they haven't made decisions that affect them 35 days from now or 35 minutes from now. And so, but they're fed, this is the right thing to do. This is the right thing to do. This is the right thing to do from people and books and podcasts and all this who don't know their situation right? Just don't know it. So, you know, so we work people through their situation from the granular. We're looking at your spending. We're helping you make decisions based off of how you're spending, what we need to change, what kind of income's actually coming in relative to what you say is coming in and all of that. It's just a different approach. Yeah. So you're saying maybe not uh, listening to Instagram and dumping your stimulus check all into Bitcoin or GameStop stock or something like that when you have no money is the is the right financial move. It hurts me in my face to to like even even hear that. So not saying that <laughs> not even saying that it's completely wrong, but I guess I guess I'm thinking that you know if you are getting a stimulus check, maybe maybe you're not quite there yet to be able to put everything into something that's speculative, right? We need to build a foundation first. And the stronger you build your foundation, the more risky you can get because that foundation's there, right? And if you do it right, it should be growing. So you're always increasing your worst. You are, your worst case scenario is always better and better if you're doing things the right way, right? So whereas if you're putting all your money into the market, your worst case scenario is always, is always zero essentially, right? So yeah. not Bitcoin's wrong or, you know, anything like that. I just, I think that um, we shouldn't, uh, well, it's like Warren Buffett said, you know, he said that he's uh, fearful when people are greedy and greedy when people are fearful, right? So, um, can't argue with that logic. 
Yeah, for sure. So one thing that is really intriguing to a lot of people that you have an intimate knowledge of is the concept of infinite banking. Can mm -hmm. you speak to that a little bit? Yeah. Um, so when you say that immediately, like some people, because they've read a book or listened to another podcast or something like, oh, that guy's scamming people, you know, it's just a ripoff and all that. Hey, I've read those books too. It's cool. Um, people don't understand the product. And I will say this, um, I don't necessarily want to say that there are bad products out there. I will say that there are bad applications of products, okay? Um, when it comes to infinite banking, infinite banking has to be done in a pretty specific manner. Um, and there's a lot of people out there that say they do infinite banking. And like, I wish I could point out what actual page of the book it is, but I've loaned my book to somebody. Um, and, uh, but it's, it's very specific about what type of products that you use that are right and what type of products you use that are wrong. Okay. So infinite banking has to be done with dividend producing whole life insurance. Okay. And there's about five companies in the world that I would trust to do it properly with. Okay. Now there are people out there that sell products and they'll say, well, this gets a better rate of return or whatever. This is not a rate of return product. This is a financial viability product. Um, the concept of infinite banking, just to break it down um, and give the kind of the quick and dirty on what it is, it is utilizing dividend producing whole life insurance to store cash. So you have accessibility, guaranteed growth, and tax the, the ability to pull money out tax-free, okay? The ability to turn to pull money out tax-free. I wanna stress that compliance. Uh, so, um, so what happens is, is you can, you can feed money into these policies and depending on how they're structured, some will grow faster than others and all of that. And then you can utilize that money now rather than 59 and a half when you can touch your 401k or your IRA or whatever, um, to fund other opportunities. So for instance, um, let's say I get, I've got $300,000 of cash built into my, uh, my policy or series of policies. And man, this property just came up, I think would be a great flip or a great rental or whatever. And a lot of people are interested in it. Well, a lot of people have to go to the bank and get financed. I can have money in my account now, right? You know, if I take it out of this. Now, the great thing is too, you might say, well, if I have good savings, I can do that as well. And that is true. But if you're utilizing these products correctly, and let's say you have that situation where you've got $300,000 of cash built into that policy. You can take, let's say, the $100,000 that you would need out of the policy, and you can still be getting the compounding on the full three hundred. dollars So that's a separator, because you're not going to borrow the money out of your own policy. You're actually going to borrow it from the insurance company's general account. Okay? So you still have three hundred dollars in your account, but you've borrowed $100,000 from the company, okay? Whereas if you have $300,000 in your savings account and you pull 100,000 out, now you've just got 200, right? So, so now I'm still getting that compounding on that 300 and it's growing every year, guaranteed to grow every year, right? And so, so that allows you to start utilizing money and make it work for you in a couple of different places at once, right? And so look, it's, we're talking about whole life insurance. It's not exactly 
podcast material, right? You asked, and I can nerd out about this stuff all day long, all right? Because I'm a pro at it. Uh, but it's, um, it's a place, real estate people love it. Um, business owners love it. Banks love it. Because despite what people say, I mean, there's a whole company out there that's built around telling people that this is wrong, okay? That company is owned by a bank. And if you go to the bank on the FDIC website and take a look at how much tier one capital they have, you'll see how much permanent life insurance the bank owns, okay? Because they know that it's a great place to put asset, to grow their assets, okay? And it's called tier one capital for a reason, because it's tier one, right? So yeah, man, I can jump down into the weeds and, and you know, because there's somebody that's listening to this right now and they're like, yeah, you borrowed that 100,000 from the insurance company. Now you got to pay interest on it. Yes, you do. You're going to pay amortized interest on the loan that you take out from the company and you're still getting compounding interest on your cash value. Which one do you think performs better? You know, it, it look, the math works. Okay. Not telling you because you'll have people say, I got a good buddy who argued with me on this on my cash flow page a couple of weeks ago. He said, the rate of return is horrible on that product. I said, okay. I said, compared to what? I'm not comparing this product to a mutual fund or whatever. I said, but here's the thing, man. I said, you could be getting 8% out of your mutual fund and thinking that's fantastic. But if I get a flip house and I buy it for 50 and sell it for 100, I just got a really great rate of return. And so I could say your mutual, your mutual fund is a crappy investment, right? This is a cash equivalent. This is a pass-through. This is something that you use because you have accessibility and you have very good tax favoritism in this, okay? And now you can utilize this to get into other things to create opportunities for you. The big separator with winners and losers when it comes to money is access to cash, okay? Winners have access to cash. Losers do not have access to cash, okay? And I don't say losers, I'm not calling people losers. I'm saying people that lose with money, okay? If you have access to cash, you can do things that people that don't, don't have access to, right? So that's why I like to have the infinite banking conversation with people. And uh, I do think it's funny that I get asked about it a lot because I guess I, I seem to be gaining a reputation. <laughs> Well, you you are passionate about it. So that's what's great about it is you can speak to it with with conviction and passion behind it because you obviously understand it. You know, it's one of those things where if somebody's not so doesn't understand it as much, they're going to be a little bit more timid. They're not going to talk about it as much, but you obviously know what you're talking about. So you you might keep getting new questions about it, but like you said, having access to that cash though is incredible because I mean, for me personally, my main source of income is flipping houses. If I didn't have access to cash, I would not be in the business of flipping houses because everybody yep. wants their cash quick. That's yep. the, the best way to get houses is, okay, I can close in three days or I can you know close in five days. Whatever you want to deal with, we can make that happen. And the most recent projects that I got, there were two houses side by side owned by the same person. And there were better offers individually for each house, but because we did a package deal of let's just make this as quick and easy as possible, yep. we were able to get the deal done just because we didn't have to go through the same loopholes and th there were, were willing to take less because of that. 
Yep. Velocity of money, man. Having access to money and being able to move it around quickly. It's important. Yeah, absolutely. So I know, I know you love nerding out on some of these things, but I want to, I want to jump back a little bit on and talk about what it was like to transition out of working with one particular company and transitioning into your own financial services company. Like what was that like for you? And was it difficult to bring clients along? You know, can, can you kind of explain some of that process so, that you went through? Yeah. So um, the way my career, my career trajectory has gone, um, I started with one company in 2007. I worked there for eight and a half years um, and then and got a good education there. Um, did okay. Um, big company, great company. Um, and then I took over a management role, leadership role with another company. And that was in 2015. And all of a sudden, at my original company, I was kind of a contractor. And while I did everything I was required to do, show up for meetings, and I was in the office every day, I was always that kind of guy, suit and tie, all that. Um, when I got to the other company, um, I was most definitely an employee. And while I had some freedom and flexibility, like if you had to go to a meeting, you were in that meeting all day. And I was not used to that. I was always used to kind of being able to do whatever I wanted to do. Um, and so being tied down from time to time, um, it was something that while my typical work day wasn't tied down like that, um, I wasn't a leadership role and all that. So I felt like there were certain things that I had to do, right? Um, so in 2016, my brother called me, um, right around this time of year and, uh, asked me to drive up. We, we lived a few hours apart at the time. And, and so we met halfway and we sat in the room, we kind of laid out what ultimately would end up becoming DeGraw Financial. And we, um, had a really good conversation and we really started the wheels rolling on everything. And then I got cold feet because guaranteed paycheck and stayed where I was for a little while. Um, and then in 2017, I got sick of it all. Um, and basically, I always got up and made sure that pay was right for my reps and things like that every other Saturday morning. And I remember scrolling down, I was looking at everybody's pay, everybody's pay, just you know, going down the line. This is what I did every other Saturday morning. Because if there was a mistake, I wanted to be the first guy in the CFO's mailbox on Monday morning, right? <laughs> so, um, and then I rolled down and mine was always the last one. And I looked at mine and I was like, you know, I'm working way too hard for this money. And I'm not really happy with how this paycheck turned out. And because I had just come off like a couple of 65, 75 hour weeks. And I know that's nothing to some people that are probably listening to this podcast, but I was an employee. I had certain expectations, you know, all that. So I told my wife, I said, listen, I'm, I'm upset. This is my upset face, just so you know. Um, and uh, I said, if I'm still this upset Monday morning, um, I'm turning in my notice. And so we made the decision and Monday morning, I was still that upset, maybe a little more so and uh, sent the email and then did all the phone calls that I had to do and, you know, stayed, stayed in for a couple of weeks just to 
fulfill my obligations. Um, and even though they revoked all my access to everything by two hours later, which I thought was cheap, but it is what it is. Um, and so started at that point to transition out, start, signed, a, signed a contract with to, to broker out certain companies, insurance products the next day um, and kind of got to work. Um, and we got to work on building the iteration of DeGroff Financial that is now, which is very um, consult, con consulting driven. Um, so we do a lot of like our clients pay us basically a retainer. We go through, we review uh, their, their finances on a very regular basis. We help them build out their budget. We coach them on how to do budget if they need to um, work with them on their day to day um, because that's the phase zero work, right? And then when we get into phase one, we have the ability to do the term insurance, disability insurance, the important things, you know, making sure you've got the money and savings, all of those things. And then once you get into phase two, we have the ability to get you into your investment products, your growth products, things like that, right? Through the partners that we have and, and all of that. So we started working on that. The transition was difficult because I had been kind of full-time insurance sales for years, which is commission driven, yes, but we were so focused on building out the infrastructure of what we were doing, the insurance sales very much dipped, right? So you're, you're living off savings and you're used to bringing in a certain amount of money and you're not bringing it in anymore. And um, it was a very tough transition. Um, but the thing was, it was tough on both Joe and I, because Joe had left a six-figure job as well to come over and build this thing. So, so here we are, you know, struggling, um, but talking about money every day, which is tough because it's kind of like sticking it in and twisting, you know. Um, and, but we had a mission and we're convinced that the way that financial planning is done is wrong and the way we are doing it is right. So if you go out, I say this all the time, if you go out and you ask 10 different financial planners what the definition of financial planning is, you're going to get 10 different answers, right? So we decided if nobody else was going to define it, we would define it, okay? Financial planning is, all it is, is the allocation of financial resources, right? The purpose, the function of financial planning is to always ensure that you have money when you need it. Okay. So what you have is you have insurance guys that sell insurance and you have investment guys that sell investments and everybody will call themselves a financial planner or whatever. Okay. Doesn't matter what licenses people have or whatever. I mean, there is, there is a governing body that basically says, okay, you're not supposed to call yourself a financial planner if you don't do this, this, and this. But the thing is, is it doesn't matter what you call yourself, which is why I kind of corrected you earlier when I said we're more of a financial consultant firm. Right. Um, because I don't like to put, I don't like to label myself like these other people because what I do is completely different. We might do some of the same things, but, but what we do is completely different because my job is to make sure that you always have money when you need it. And there's really crappy things that have to go on to make that happen, right? Because your average guy in a really, really nice suit in a high rise that does investments doesn't want to talk to you about spending a few hundred dollars a month on disability insurance, okay? Or whether you should buy your human life value of 
term life insurance or you should buy what you need, right? So what you need can change tomorrow. Your human life value, you know, that's, that's a much better situation to be in as far as life insurance goes, right? But again, we live in this world where everything is about rate of return and that's wrong, okay? Um, and everything that is not growing for you is, is an expense that you need to limit instead of being able to set your financial situation up to be able to always have money when you need it, right? So if the function of financial planning is to make sure that you always have money when you need it, that dictates how I deal with a client on a day-to-day -day basis, whether it be from managing their budget, so I can make sure that if they need tires or a new washing machine, they have it, right, without having to utilize credit, or if they need $677,000 to buy this new property or business or whatever, how am I going to put them in a position to be able to do that? But the washing machine is every bit as important to the guy that needs a washing machine as the $677,000 property is to the guy who needs that property, right? So we want to make sure that you always have money when you need it. So given that that was our mission and we're a very missional and people focused company, right? Um, it was tough because we're just operating off belief at this point and belief in no money. Right. And so, um, so yeah, it, it's, it, it was tough, but we've had this belief that we're right this entire time and that's never changed. We might take a slightly different approach on certain things. We might focus on, you know, some things for the first half of this year and some different things, the second half of the year, whatever, but, but the focus has never changed. And the fact that we have this system that we put everything into, if you come out of phase zero, or maybe you didn't start in phase zero, maybe you come out and you're doing really well financially and you're like, hey, I've got this $200,000 I want to invest. Okay, well, let's look at your situation. And yeah, well, we've still got to do these phase one things before we can make these phase two decisions. This is, how, this is what it's like to work with us. If you don't like that and you want to go work with somebody else, that's totally fine. But this is what we've got to do because this is the mission that we have. Very tough is what I'm getting at, but but um, worth it, you know, and it'll yeah. continue to be more and more worth it. Yeah, I, I love that you're mission focused and, you know, you're really trying to reframe those things and help people raise their financial IQ um, but one thing you said that really stuck with me that we talked about before we started recording, and I hope you're okay with me sharing this, but people aren't leads. People are people. Yeah. That phrase in and of itself that you described that alone to me says that that has to have affected your business because people think of it as, you know, the transactional rather than relationship. Yeah. So by treating people like people rather than leads, how has that affected your business over the years? You know, I think it's just one of those things that just comes across when I talk to somebody. It's not just herding people in. I'm not one of those guys that I have to write 100 policies a year. I have to, I have to bring in a certain amount of AUM a year or anything like that. It's just I want to meet interesting people. <laughs> and, uh, and if I am blessed with the opportunity to work with them, that is awesome. Because here's the thing, there's things that I'm not great at in this business, but I am not afraid to get somebody else on the phone and or get somebody else into this meeting with us and say, 
okay, this person's the pro in this area. This is why I'm bringing them in. And so they're going to help on this side of things. Not afraid of that in the least, right? And so, but I always, it's something that's always kind of bothered me um, because insurance people, insurance salespeople, okay, always talk about leads. And I'm just not a fan, right? I'm not a fan. Um, mortgage people do this a lot too. And I say that because my older brother's pretty successful mortgage guy. Um, and we have this same conversation, okay, um, a lot. But people are people. People have very unique situations and very unique goals. And you know, just they just want to accomplish certain things and they want to be what they want to be. And sometimes they don't know what they want to be, but a salesperson sometimes is just trying to fit that policy in and all that. My, my job, I don't call myself a financial planner. I will say I'm more of an insurance planner on that side of things, but my job is to help that client become that, that person become who they want to become, right? Money can help you get there. Money doesn't solve all the problems. Okay. It doesn't. I get it all. But we talk a lot about enlivening money. That's our tag, right? We want money to be alive and working within you. We want money to push you forward instead of you constantly trying to pull yourself towards money, right? That's why we talk a lot about accessibility rather than, um, rather than hey, put all your money into this and when you're 59 and a half, you can touch it. It'd be okay. Um, you know, that's not... That's not what we do. We want to move people towards their purpose, okay? And people's purpose isn't to go to work in a nine to five every day and hate their life for 40 years and get a gold watch and live a miserable retirement existence on $2,200 a month or whatever and, and then die. That's not what we're here for, okay? It's not. And so when you start to talk to people and you start to ask them questions and you start to show them how they can house dollars and then they start to see it in their head that, oh, so I don't necessarily have to go work this job that I hate because it's got benefits. If I handle my finances correctly, I can do this on my own. I can create this company. I can, I can do what I want to do. That's where you start to change people, right? And so, but if you just look at them as leads, it's just get them in, get them out, get them in, get them out. I don't, I, that's not what I want. I had a conversation this morning. I had a client in yesterday and she owns a massage business, right? And she has a very high level of trust in me. Um, and she, I texted her last night and just told her, hey, appreciate your time, you know, today. It was great to see you again and all that. And she texted me back this morning and said something like, uh, appreciate you looking out for my future or whatever. And I said, look, I said, you know that the future is, is me blowing this thing out of the stratosphere. And then you just be in my personal massage therapist. Like, as long as you know that that's fine, you know? And, uh, and so, um, you know, she laughed, but I understand my clients and I understand where they are as people and where they want to go. And that's, that's my job is to help them fulfill that purpose. It's not just about selling a policy. It's not just about buying term or investing the rest or buy disability insurance or invest in these funds or whatever. 
that's all just noise, right? Who are you as a person? Where are you going? What are you trying to do? How can I help you get there? That's, that's our passion. You know, that's, that's what we're trying to grow. Wow. I love that. I, you can, you can, again, sense the passion when you talk about these things and how much you truly do believe in it and how much you really care about these different individuals. So that's, that's great. And I love seeing you do that because it is the hustle the day podcast though. I do have to ask you, what is it, your personal definition of the word hustle? Earl Nightingale's definition of success is the, the, the worthy, pro, the progression towards a worthy ideal or something like that. Like, I don't like the constant hustle and grind culture that we, you know, that we live in, that people just think, oh, it's all about, I mean, I remember scrolling through Instagram stories one time and seeing a guy that was like, my family's giving me a tough time that I couldn't go to my great grandma's birthday party, but I got to hustle. That's so dumb to me. Your great grandma only has so many birthdays left. If I could get mine back, I'd give it, get it. You know, that's the thing. Like it's everything doesn't, isn't about making money or whatever. But to me, hustle is what am I doing on a day-to-day basis to become who I want to become? There's a lot of mistakes that I've made in my life, right? Um, There's a reason why doing 75 hard at the beginning of the year was so important to me. And it's because, like I said, I went on that bender and gained a bunch of weight back that I'd spent so much time losing. Right. And that's a constant thing that I'm working towards. Right. And that's something that I have to hustle for building this business is something that I have to hustle for. It's something that, um, it's just, it's just when I get up every day and I look at the things that I have to do, it's, am I willing to do that work, do it with a good attitude. And even when I don't want to do it um, and just make sure that my family and I are going to have the type of success that I think that we have the potential to do. I guess maybe that's the word. So I'll, I'll use the word potential. It's meeting that potential, right? Every day. There you go. I just came up with my answer. You can edit everything else out that I said. No, no, it's all staying in because I, I love seeing that process of you getting to that, but I love that definition. I don't want to take too much of your time, John. I know you have been very gracious to give us some of your time today to speak to my audience. So I want to ask you one final question, but before I do that, where is it that people can best find more information about you and connect with you? Um, I'm John DeGroff on everything. And it's J-O-N because I spell my name properly. Those J-O-H-N guys, I I don't get. But um, yeah, J-O-N-D-E-G-R-O-F-F on Facebook, Instagram, Clubhouse, Twitter. Uh, I I think that's probably about it. I'm not on Friendster anymore, uh, but I am that old. Um, So maybe still have a MySpace page out there. I don't know. Don't get on that. But uh, yeah, John DeGroff everywhere. My business is DeGroff Financial. It's on Facebook and Instagram. Um, Cashflow Pros is my Facebook group. I'm pretty active in there on a day-to-day basis. Um, yeah, that's me. No worries. I'll make sure to include links in the show description so people can connect with you a little bit easier. But the final question I want to ask you, what is it that excites you about the future? Everything. Like, Sometimes you, it's like, it's like when the Israelites were wandering through the wilderness, right? Like they don't know what they're doing. They don't know where they're going. They don't have a high level of trust at this point that even though 
God continues to give them everything that they need, right? And they they just can't see it. And then at some point, you get to see it, right? Um, and I think that's a little bit where I am in my life. I'm starting to really see it. Everything that we've been working towards, right? And so, so right now, kind of everything excites me. I just like, I'm giddy about a lot of things. I'm giddy about having conversations like this with you. Um, I'm giddy about the work that we're doing and the clients that we're working with. I'm giddy that like here in a little bit, I get to go to my son's basketball game and then go watch my other son in a baseball scrimmage, you know, and see my daughter going through her journey as an eight-year-old girl, you know, and, and all of this. Um, and by the way, I am painfully aware that I say, you know, a lot. So for those of you who listen to the podcast and want to pick on me about that, that's totally fine. I'm trying. So, um, so yeah, I'm excited about everything. Um, and that's a weird spot to be in, but I, my son came over here to the office last night. I went to his basketball game he stayed for the girls game after his, and then someone brought him over to my office because I had to come back here to get a couple of things done. And he said, uh, he said, you're in good mood. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I am. And, uh, and just, I don't know. I, I'm not, I'm not usually not in a good mood. <laughs> um, that's kind of my MO. If people have known me for years, like it's just kind of my thing. I have, I have a pretty good disposition. Um, but, but I am very excited about things right now and, uh, I'm very blessed to be in the position that I'm in, um, and surrounded by the people that I'm surrounded with. Um, I know that I would be remiss if I didn't bring up that you and I have contractual obligations to, to complement each other, uh, every time that we are, find ourselves in the same area. I don't know what's going to happen when we meet next month in, uh, in Dallas, because, it might be, it, the place might blow up. I'm just very excited about how things are going and the work that we're doing and the people that we're doing the work with and, and helping people grow and growing ourselves and, and all of that. Um, excited to be on your podcast. And it's, it, I don't know, life's good. Well, I think the episode will end up airing right after we meet in Dallas. So it'll be a good, you know, hype up to the episode. Thank you, John, for taking time out of your day. I really appreciate this. This has been great. Uh, I think it's been a great conversation for people to better understand what they don't know about what they don't know about their financial situation. And so um, definitely connect with John. Great individual. You know, I know I've gotten a ton of value out of this. So I know my audience has gotten value out of this. So I encourage you all to get out there and hustle the day.